welcome to this first incision mini-series, Junior Doctor Foundations. I'm your host, Lizzie Kennedy. I'm a junior doctor based in Exeter. You are listening to the second episode of this new six-part series on how to thrive as a junior doctor living and working in digital Babylon. Here to navigate this topic with me today, I've got John Greenall, paediatrician and associate CEO at CMF, and we also have our guest speaker, Ben Harrison, Emeritus Professor of Psychiatry, who is retired after an academic and clinical career. Welcome. Hi, Lizzie. Hello. Hi, Lizzie. We're going to have a look at the topic of identity today. We're specifically going to look at the question, who am I really? The inspiration for this series has come about from some research from the Barna Group in North America. They interviewed about 50,000 young adults between the ages of 18 and 25, and they pictured the 21st century as being a very hostile climate for young people wanting to cultivate their faith in God, and they described it as a digital Babylon. John, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what Digital Babylon is? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think many of you listening will be aware of Babylon from the biblical times where Daniel and his friends went with the exiles and they went from this monotheistic, you know, faith at the centre kind of society in Jerusalem and they were taken into exile to this pluralistic fast-paced pagan but also kind of spiritual but with real faith at the margins if you like so that that's the world that Daniel and his friends were going into they lived there as exiles and really that phrase digital Babylon is saying look we've been here before this is nothing new uh, and that as Christians we are living like exiles if you like um, and in early 2023 when this is going out we're reflecting on some of the census data which is pointing out that, you know, Christianity is now not the dominant or the majority religious affiliation, if you like, in this country. Now, we've known that for a long time. Actually, evangelical faith is professed by approximately only 2%. So whilst it may feel challenging and feel like we're, we're, we are like exiles, we've been here before. Uh, and that's really what this research is focusing on and saying, look, how do we live in a digital Babylon when everything else seems to be pulling us away from living in that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting thought, isn't it? I've been reflecting more and more, I think, John, about just it feels so difficult often as a Christian to keep my identity rooted in God. And I'm I'm just feeling like a lot of things are geared against that in our culture. And I would just particularly really like to hear from you, Glenn, about your thoughts. What messages do you think we get from culture about our identity and who we are? Yeah, well, yeah, thanks, Lizzie. I, I was thinking there about Babylon. Of, of course, the early Christians were in a way exiled from their own faith. That little group of, of early followers of Jesus who stepped out in, into a a Roman world and across the Roman Empire, they were as well exiles from from their faith. That they, they went, of course, to Jewish communities first, but they very quickly had to form their own groups. And they were seen that the the Roman emperor, the Roman historian Tacitus, described them as notoriously depraved <laughs> and hate-filled people. You know, so wow. we, I'm always saying this: we're not the first people in history. Uh, to find ourselves in a tough place and misunderstood and caricatured. People have been here before. And, Mm -hmm. you know, today's culture of kind of entitlement can make us feel, hey, well, you know, victims Mm -hmm. and very sorry for ourselves. And and the Bible repeatedly says, no, no, look back to some of the great heroes who've gone before they've Mm -hmm. they've lived in these two. And I think we can take inspiration from that. But yeah, um, you know, identity is really one of the big issues, isn't it, in in this cultural Babylon? And Babylon's a you know a good word, a babel of different voices about it. And 
in, in a way, the fact that our culture is so preoccupied this issue is is right, surely, because it, this goes to how we understand ourselves. And, and that's one of the big questions about life. Probably the other one is, how do we understand God? And the question as well, how do we understand ourselves? And, and that's what identity really is. That's what we're talking about in this podcast. What is the concept we hold about ourselves? And so our culture is right in saying, well, that that's important. Yeah. And we are influenced by lots of stuff around us. And there's something right in our culture that says, but but you think yourself what you want to do and not just absorb what's going on. I think what makes all of this a, a challenge for Christians is that it then goes on to say, and not only should you think about what you absorb from the world around you, but but actually the answer lies within yourself there's indeed very little to learn from the world around you and the word is suspicion so that the self is elevated in today's individualism it's all about what i find within myself and i view what's gone on in the past tradition and religious Mm. people and all of this with suspicion and one great philosopher calls about you know today's we we live in in the culture of the buffered self it, mm. it's all about me and in the formation of my sense of self and the shaping of it i just need to to look inside myself and be that thing and that's what makes it such a challenge for christian because that is not the way we do mm. identity and that's the challenge for us Mm. It's really helpful, Glenn. Thank you for that. John, do you have any thoughts about kind of messages that you feel like you've accrued from culture about identity? Yeah, well, I'd agree with Glenn, really. It's this, um, you know, looking inside oneself to find your identity. And I agree, it's a great question, one that so many people are asking. I think, you know, in the, for junior doctors, what's intriguing is that we have, we, we I think we see all of that. I think mm. if we reflect just on some of the messages that we uh, that we we get from society, you know, follow your heart, be true to yourself, express yourself, all, all of those things. We've probably grown up with many of those mantras. We just have to watch a recent Disney film or we'll see them there, mm. for example. But we also have, um, as well as sort of saying, well, your identity is something that you discover by looking inside yourself. Actually, we we live in a bit of a traditional medical world in many ways, mm. where our identity is achieved through through achievements. It's through mm. status. It's through who I am. And I'll, I'll be really honest. This is something that I have struggled with and, and sometimes still do. You know, the idea that, well, I'm a doctor. And um, I've achieved this through lots of hard work. I, I did well at school. There was a sense of my achievements in my exams were making me feel like, well, actually, I'm I'm better than than some other mm. people. Or I've got particular value. You know, I had a, a lady in church with great intentions, I'm sure, you know, come up to me and, and almost squidge my cheeks before I was going to university, literally, and just said, you know, I'm so proud of you. You're going to do great things. You're just so gifted. And that was her her way of wanting to bless me but actually it just boosted this sense that this is this is who I am that I I, I am because of my achievements and and a lot of us as junior doctors think carry that in with success and achievement and status and you know the savior syndrome mm. the I'm better than you syndrome and of course we have this intriguing clash where we're trying to discover our identity from inside but also trying to achieve it from outside and I think that those messages can be quite contradictory uh, and quite challenging for mm. junior doctors. 
It's a great point, John, and, and that's what makes the word Babel so appropriate because it, it, there's a babel of voices out there, aren't there? Really powerful voices. You've got to do that. You just look inside yourself. Uh, but, hey, you, you need this uh, cosmetic to yeah. be really cool. And there's an incoherence about it. And, and you know, it's on to something, again, when it recognizes today's culture, when we recognize that to hang our sense of who I am on our achievements and our status is a, a vulnerable place to be because then you're only who you are as long as your achievements are valid and recognized in culture. But what happens if you stop achieving? You know, uh, you retire and people forget you at a, a rate that will mm. astonish you. <laughs> the world moves on. And who are you now? Or you get ill or disabled. And, you know, and, and who are you now? So it's the kind of boom or bust ego identity yeah. I, I, that when I, it's all going great, I, this is who I am. And when it's going awful, well, what am, what am I now? So the culture is right in saying, yeah, to, to hang your identity on that is, isn't a good place. But it's wrong in the solution it gives, which it says, so just look inside yourself and be be whatever you want to be and follow your heart. And there's quite a bit of accumulated psychological evidence now to show it. It certainly doesn't work for self-worth, just saying, I'm I'm worthy, I'm I'm an important person, I'm I esteem myself. You know, there's really good research, Joanna Wood and others who who've shown that it makes us hungrier than ever. Mm. And that's, in a way, what our consumer society also knows, because if it says, just look inside yourself, it knows you'll come running back for more, which is quite interesting. I think the way cosmetic and like, was it Dove with their self-esteem thing, you you know, they're big on self-esteem because they sense it doesn't work. You'll be back. You'll be back to buy their product to help you be the person you are. So it, it's a cruel world in many ways because of its incoherence and its consumerism, mm. its false messaging. Yeah, that's really interesting. Isn't that? Yeah. I think I've definitely, I mean, that definitely resonates with me as a, as a junior doctor. I've definitely felt this kind of confusing, like, like you say, babble, Glenn, almost like I'm, I'm in this environment where everything's based on my achievements from a, you know, from a medical perspective. And I'm looking for feedback. I'm looking for affirmation from seniors and colleagues that I'm doing well, that I'm a good doctor mm. somehow. But actually, I'm, you know, changing jobs every few months. And sometimes I find good friends in, in particular jobs, but the reality is most people I work with don't really know me. They're under a lot of pressure. So I don't get yeah. that kind of external feedback mm. from other people that I'm doing okay. And then I've got culture saying we well, just look inside yourself how do you feel about yourself do you feel like you're a good doctor and then I yeah I, you know I get to the end of the day and I think oh not really you know I did some jobs but not as many yes. as I wanted to I didn't you know I not, cared not for that lady as we thought. Yeah. yeah exactly but, <laughs> but also just you know I, I cared for that patient but I didn't care for them in the way that I wanted to I'm not you know mm. I'm not the doctor that I hope to be I feel inadequate and yeah, I mean, I personally find that quite f- confusing um, as a situation. Yeah, <laughs> um, and the problem is in, in a culture which says, "Look inside yourself." You're on your own. Yeah, you're on your own. And something inside us says, "No, no." But I say more. You know, we're hungry for yeah. a way of looking at the world which recognizes that being a doctor is a wonderful calling, but it's not everything about me. And mm. we're looking for some bigger story mm. into which our being a doctor plays a really 
important part. And it is a big deal being called to that ministry, to that service, mm. those opportunities. But it isn't it isn't the only deal in town. It, it's part of an even bigger deal in which it finds its meaning and its space and, and also in a way that keeps us going through the bad times because mm. I'm part of a, a story that's bigger than me and bigger even than this. And that's what I need to keep my eye on going through this tough time right now. You know, we'll talk a moment about the difference Christian faith makes, I guess, but I long that we'd see as doctors our sense of being a doctor as doing the the will of God himself in the world. And what you're doing is something that brings him enormous pleasure and joy and has real substance to it. And every morning we need to get up and I am the image of God, and here is the work he calls me to today. And it's awful at times, yeah, but that is the work he's given me to do. So I'm going to do it, you know, as his faithful image bearer. And I I think we do have something radically different as as Christians to both say and and to live in, in this area. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, the, I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? The self-obsession. I mean, I think we'll probably reflect in other episodes about the use of our phones and how you're just constantly on your phone, constantly looking for, I guess, approval through social media. Yeah. You get that, Lizzie, you're walking down the corridor and you check mm-hmm. a post that you've put or you're comparing yourself. And it's this very, it's very self-centered, you know, the career ladder and what you're doing to get the sign-offs and the whatever you need. Yeah. It's, it's very self-centered. And yet, the as you say, the wonderful message of Christianity is that you know you're not just your duties as Mm. tradition would say you're not just your desires that our kind of modern culture would say but we are we are Jesus's we are we are God's we belong to him and our existence is not to make ourselves look good and we constantly fail and it's it's horrible treadmill but our existence is to make him look good and that is the most liberating I just find it so liberating as a Christian that Mm. it's not all about me yeah but it's actually about him and that is yeah. incredibly liberating and in time incredibly joyful. It's a really mm-hmm. joyful way to live, I've found. Well, I think in a way, this is what you might call spiritual physics. There's an, a formula here uh, which Jesus gives us. You know, he he says, if you want to find your life, lose it. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and the spiritual physics is that if you give it away, it's somehow in the magic almost of God's ways with us, comes back eventually. Mm-hmm. And and we find that we are more than we've given away. That's the way mm-hmm. God always works. Grace always comes back to us. I think, John, I, absolutely what you say, I, I guess you'd want to qualify it a bit because some people see that as a, well, it's all about him and not about me at all. Mm-hmm. And you know, it wasn't me, it, it was the Lord kind of thing. And little old me and I'm a nobody. Actually, you're not a nobody. You bear the image of God himself. Your work really matters to him. And if it's good work, it's good work, but it's work done for him. And yeah. I think to receive his pleasure and his approval actually validates the work. But now it doesn't need to be turned back on yourself as it's all about me. You say, this is beautiful work. I am a jolly good doctor at times. Yeah. I think I am really good with some of my patients and I've got a special way with them. You know, you don't need to deny all that. So, well, it's not me. It's all God. No, no, it was you take pleasure in it but then offer it to him to be built into this rich Mm. tapestry of his beauty and his glory 
And then you find it comes back to you because you're in that tapestry and you're that beautiful thing that's part of the whole glory of God. So it's a wonderful thing the way this spiritual physics works. You give it away, it comes back. You give it away, it comes back. It's very much the way God works, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So we can still pursue, I guess, almost being successful in terms of, you know, we can pursue those good conversations with patients and be happy when that goes well. But our focus isn't on getting approval from other people. We can just celebrate that as a good work. And, yeah. And, and celebrate and it as approval, a good work that glorifies God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the approval's helpful in, in that it helps you work out the quality of, of what you did. Mm. I mean, you get flattery as well, but people often approve of you as a way of you getting to do stuff. Don't they? Mm. Particularly as we doctors, we tend to be a bit, you know, guilty <laughs> mm. at times and we do. And so you've got to tease that out. And and again, this way of looking at yourself. I'm called to do God's work, not respond to other people's flattery, can be a way of stabilizing ourselves. But nevertheless, when you get good feedback, you know, and someone says that was really good, just take that. Well, thank you. And it means I'm a really good doctor. Of course, it said nothing what kind of a husband you are, what kind of a <laughs> wife or what kind of a, a, a disciple of Jesus right now. But on that metric, that's useful but again, it goes into a story that's bigger than me. So I'm not now all about that successful, that passing achievement. That passing achievement, which was successful, it was good, is part of a, a bigger picture that I serve. And, and it's wonderfully meaningful and yeah. rewarding, as well as blessing God's heart, you know, with my good work. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's quite liberating to think about our work in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I remember as an F2, I didn't have a great sense of self-image as a doctor. And I, I kept telling myself, you know, it's because you're working in the NHS and it's a feedback vacuum, you're just not getting any affirmation and, you know, you're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember that actually I did get to a placement where I had a wonderful supervisor and, and she was really encouraging. And I remember hearing this good feedback and it, you know, it's just still, it still didn't do anything. <laughs> it was like, it was like an empty meal. It was like I'd looked forward to, to Christmas mm. Day and the food was rubbish. Um, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, there's something really wrong here. There's something mm. wrong with the way I see myself and how I see my work as a doctor. I guess with my essential identity, I'm telling myself my identity is in Christ, but actually mm, there's a warning light on the dashboard mm. and I'm not sure that's quite true. Um, mm. So I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on where do we get our identity from if it's not from work, if it's not from culture? Mm. Well, I mean, I think it is interesting as we talked about Babylon and mentioned Daniel and his his friends. The story that most people remember if you've been to Sunday school is when the three friends stand up and refuse to bow down to the statues. Mm. It's a big show, you know, showdown and they're thrown into the fiery furnace and they come out unscathed and you think, wow, how did they have the courage to to stand up and you know would I do the same etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. Um, but these guys and actually as a community of, of exiles we get hints don't we from the very beginning of the book of Daniel that they were not just going along with everything they were renamed they had new jobs the aim was to assimilate this group into the culture you know so that their faith would become futile and irrelevant but of course that wasn't the case they made a stand on the food that they ate and we also see from Daniel's life that he made, kept up this regular practice of praying regularly um, at set times during the day. That was his marker to say, I'm not going to be shaped and formed and influenced to the point of no return by this culture. I'm going to put a marker down that says, this is who I am. This is the God that I serve. And this is where I know, I guess, who I really who I really am and who, who the real God 
is and that was amazing that over that time so i think one one answer is the answer that sometimes i don't want to hear i want a nice magical solution thank you very much i want someone to pray for me that i'll suddenly be this person who knows my identity in christ and that would just it would never be a problem again when i'm walking on the wards i just know who i am but the reality is is that and history will tell us and those that who have come through and walked this journey will tell us that it's about the day in day out practices of of walking with god and walking with him in community not as isolated individuals and so i, th- I think we should talk about how we do that because that sounds nice in some ways but it is often about the day to day practices and not just isolated thinking but actually a fully integrated bodily following jesus in the community of people so it's something along those lines glenn what, what's yeah it's fundamentally i think knowing owning inhabiting our our identity as as children of god as our primary grounding sense of who we are is i i call it an imaginative journey it's a task in, in which we've got to build a picture in our own hearts and minds of, of who I am and what this looks like. When an, a new iPhone's launched, they don't just give you the data sheet. I, I remember, I think, when the when the iPhone 6 came out and, and the CEO stepped on, onto the stage, I think it was, and he shows this beautiful sideways picture of an iPhone that then swivels around in the colour and already I, I want this. And he's not just telling me what it does. He's showing me what it is, this mm. beautiful thing, you see. And he knows that to get me to want one of those, he's got to build a picture in, in my mind of what it is and what it'll do and what it looks like and how it'll behave, you see. We've got to do the same yeah. with this new idea that we belong to God and and that we're his children. And that means, you know, primarily look up first, hear Mm. what God's got to say and use your imagination. I I say to folk, look, you know, you've been loved. The beginning is that you are here because you're the result of a thought of God himself. That's where it starts. You've been loved into being. That's what you are, a human being loved into being. But then you've been not only adopted as a follower of Christ into God's family, you've been reborn, re-loved into a new life in his son. And that's why I think opening our hearts to good Bible teaching that doesn't just explain stuff, but that inspires our heart and shows us some of this as well is so important. The world knows this. That's why it has so many thrilling images and seeks to show us what it can offer. And then, of course, it so often just disappears. It's such a dud when you get there. But um, we need to do that to open our heart to good Bible preaching and teaching. And you don't need to just go to church for that, although that's a good anchoring habit, you know, and it's a really necessary one. But, you know, podcasts, videos, and of course, the importance of fellowship as we hear and see from others. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, John, your your point there is don't just talk the talk. So it's not just about going to a Bible study where we explain stuff to each other. But being in exile is really about walking the walk. And the two then feed into one another as we practice habits of following Christ. Then our beliefs strengthen. And as we work on our beliefs, our habits are formed. 
and the two work together. So I think habits are really important, you know, having uh, regular things that we try and do. And I think, Lizzie, you'd be the first to say, yeah, how long have you forgotten what it's like to be a junior doctor and how hard that is? Mm. And, and I'd say, no, I actually haven't forgotten. I was on a one and two rotor and that's marked me for life. You, you know, I, I mean, it's extraordinary. Um, and uh, no, I haven't forgotten. But I think what it makes me say, so it's even more important then that we have habits even if they have to be adapted. And so the habit of just looking at our Bibles regularly, it may need to be adapted to just one verse for that day, just one verse, but keep the keep the habit up because I, I think habits get us through tough times when our feelings drain away and we're just tired and fed up and discouraged. I think it was Habakkuk who said wonderfully at, at the end of his prophecy in the Old Testament, he, he says, the vines may bear no fruit, the wells may dry up, yet will I praise him because mm. that is who I am and that is what I do. And I'm going to do that now. And I, I think that's one of the wonderful things about living as well as telling or thinking the faith as well. Mm. So I think that's what you're saying, isn't it, John? And community, yeah. of course. I, oh, I, I agree with all of that. It's, uh, and I, I think it's very radical. And I think, you know, there's, yeah. a lot of us are looking for that. I mean, of course, we're exhausted after our shifts. We're thinking, oh, just, you know, please let it be easy. But there are there are senses in which looking for that that community, those deeper communities, as you say, where it's it's not just sort of taught, but but it's caught where you're able to see that that's what it looks like to live yeah. in in that way. That's the real good life, if you like. And it won't just happen on a quick you know, quick listen to a podcast for half an hour a week. It's it's going to take some intentionality. Um, yeah. People, you know, if you're in the middle of horrific rotors, people praying for you and prioritizing yeah. being in that community yeah. where you're saying, let's live differently. Let's let's think, you know, what are what are the, the, the one of the lies of our culture is individualism. It's all going to be about you. You just do yeah. it by yourself. And so whilst a lot of the individual stuff is important, We've got to identify that cultural idol and say, no, we need to push against that, that we're not, mm. we're made for community mm. and, and finding that wherever you can as a junior and being pretty relentless about seeking that community out is, mm. is a surefire way of, of living counterculturally. Um, mm. There's a very famous sociologist called Rodney Stark, and he wasn't mm. a Christian. He, he later became a Christian, but in his book, The Rise of Christianity, mm. just as a sociologist, he scratched his head as to how did this little band of people rise over 300 years to effectively take over the Roman Empire in terms of the predominant culture? And his answer was that, yes, they, they knew what they believed, but even more important, they lived what they believed. And in the end, the pagan culture liked what they, they looked in and they saw the way they treated women, for example, and they saw the way that they rejected Roman sexual culture, which was that, you know, a man could have sex with anybody he liked who was of a lower social rank. Mm. And Christian said, no, no, every person's made in the image of God. That woman, that little girl, that little boy bears the image of God. They're not your playing thing. And so they called us into these deeply committed marriage relationships and children became important pagans initially were puzzled and hateful you know these people are hateful they don't like us they're living so differently but over time they kept looking and they liked what they saw that it was for human flourishing it was for it was for human good in the long run 
even if it didn't look like it sometimes in the short mm. run. And uh, I, I find his work, it's a great little book, by the way, The Rise of Christianity. And it's, mm. he writes at a very popular level. Mm. Really recommend that. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, I agree with both of you about both of the different things. I was just thinking as you were speaking, Glenn, about pursuing, you know, spending time in God's word and what that looks like. I think I've had to try out different things as a junior doctor that I didn't do as a medical student in terms of what that looks like and just have a lot more grace for myself. Mm. Actually, perhaps if realistically sitting down and doing a 20 minute quiet time before a 15 hour shift, you know, yeah. in a run of six, mm. it's probably not going to happen. Let God so love you, I'd say. Let God love you, Lizzie. He, you know, yeah. that wonderful psalm, uh, he, like a father, he knows we're made of dust. Yeah. He, he knows how hard it is. Jesus himself, uh, you know, he knows. Let him love you, you know, say a prayer and go to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just being creative with that, letting him love love us in a creative way, whether that's by listening to his word mm. or phoning a friend before bedtime and say, can we read through something together? I'm tired. Can we pray together? I'm, you know, I'm too tired yeah. for this. I don't have the words for myself. That's a good idea. Mm. I found that quite helpful. And I think they, mm. they package that up better with God's love and God's grace when you're doing that with someone and um, John, you were talking about having kind of those relationships that are, I guess, our community. And I think as a junior doctor, that's also changed in terms of what mm. that looks for me in this season. You know, as a medical student, that was more mm. Sunday service focused, home group focused. And now I have to be more creative. You know, mm. perhaps my main Christian community, those places where I'm vulnerable and I'm accountable is someone who lives in the city three hours away that I phone every week or in a prayer triplet at church or you know it's just it's different it's different mm. but I just need to pursue it yeah, yeah. keep going Theory. absolutely what I've been wondering is as a I guess as a Christian doctor it's harder to make those spaces where we meet with God but even when we make them I think there are challenges in those spaces too as a junior doctor I think I've just absorbed a lot of lies, unhelpful lies. They've changed my perception of God. And God hasn't changed, but my perception of them's changed because of things I've picked up at work or perhaps personally. And I think that can also perhaps be a barrier to us spending time in his presence and being discipled by him. Um, for example, I remember I had to almost ask God, you know, what's is there something between us? You know, something come up? I, I don't feel close to you anymore. This is hard. And I remember feeling quite convicted that actually, perhaps because of something that had happened personally that was then reinforced at work, I'd almost swallowed this kind of idea of God that he was a an unkind God, a cruel God, because I was witnessing lots of things at work, sudden traumas, um, mm-hmm. cancer in young people, terrible things happening to children. Although I'd kind of addressed on a, a thought level the idea of God. Yeah, and in, yeah, yeah, an intellectual level, that's what I'm looking for. An intellectual level, God in suffering, and you know, how does that work? actually on a personal level I I didn't trust God <laughs> and yeah. I was trying to I was trying to form a relationship with a father who I essentially didn't trust anymore mm. um mm. and actually I think, Lizzie I I'm sorry mm. if I I think that's I think what you're modeling for us though is a really important principle mm. which is don't you know, you know doubts struggles don't don't kind of cover them over yeah. and, and mm. move on or feel ashamed yeah um be be real. God's our Father. He 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 wants a real relationship with us. And there was a story I I heard of a, a mother superior at a convent took a mm. a visiting person, showing them around, and went into the chapel. And there was a nun. And just as they went, the nun was praying near the front. And just as as they entered, the the nun suddenly picked up a 
a hymn book and threw it at the altar, you know, and instinctively this other person went to console or comfort, you know, and the mother superior pulled her back and said, leave her, leave her be. She's praying. She's <laughs> praying, you know, and I, I think it's there in the Psalms. God, God wants to be present with us in our struggles, you know, and we don't see the whole picture. We don't know the beginning to the end. So we do look at stuff and we think, what? You know, I don't understand this, Lord. And he doesn't want us to be unreal with him, but to mm. be real. But then don't leave it at that. I, I think as you're saying, talk to somebody and work through it. But I think through all of that, the thing that underpins us, has to underpin us, is look, if I'm worried about this, as someone who bears God's image, um, don't I think that God's concerned? Don't, don't I think that He would be worried about this too? It's not as mm. if, um, you, you know. So the answer isn't that you, you know I've somehow got a cruel God. It may be that you just don't understand Him sufficiently yet, given mm. that we're a little creature and we don't even understand, you know, black holes at the moment. And somebody explain, you know, relativity to us and. and you know, there's so much we don't understand. And then we think we've, we should be able to understand all God's ways. And if it doesn't quite add up for me right now, I'm in a bit of a paddy. Mm. Now, you know, trust him. If you feel bad about this, do you think that Jesus didn't feel for our pain and suffering? And that doesn't provide a neat answer, but I think it carries us through these periods of doubt. So feel, express the feelings, but then seek out mm. counsel mm. and then trust God, I think, as as the kind of good God who it's our following him that makes us see the world in that way. You know, in Roman time, they'd have said, so what? You know, kids are nothing. What are you worried about kids for? We put our kids out if we don't want them. Expose them, expositio. It was Christians who said, no, 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 you do not treat little kids, babies. Each one bears the image of God. And it's because Christians said that, that you're sitting here now, Lizzie, saying, well, there's something wrong here when a kid suffers, when a child yeah. suffers. That has been formed out of what the Christian tradition brought to the West and into the Roman world. And, and I think that does help us say, yeah, I may not understand, but I'm going to trust you, Lord, mm -hmm. through this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing I found helpful was, and I would encourage other people to do it, is, is asking God that question. Yeah, is there something between us or, you know, what's changed? And then finding a friend, you know, a close friend, someone you can be vulnerable with to talk through that with. And, yeah. and some good books. I know I personally found reading God on Mute by Pete Grieg was a really helpful hmm. book. I think I initially thought, oh, you know, this this isn't going to be the book for me because I can't particularly think of any great unanswered prayers I have. And then I realized I just stopped praying about things I really wanted changed <laughs> because yeah. I just almost just subliminally thought, you know, that won't change. And just, yeah, kind of identifying That's the great. problem yeah. and find, finding a friend, finding a resource, finding something to read mm. on that so that you can, mm. you know, cry about it, pray it through, work it out and be honest. That's great. I've not read that. So, so that's God on Mute by who, who Pete, was that? Pete Grieg. Oh, yeah. Pete Grieg. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and okay. I, I think um, I tried to, tried to explain it to my family, and they, they didn't quite. I didn't explain it very well, but you know, it's talking about loads of inspirational Christians and the struggles they've mm. had with their faith at times. And yeah. I remember one relative saying, "You know, why is that encouraging? Why is it encouraging that Mother mm -hmm. Teresa was depressed for a lot of her life?" And I go, "Yeah, but you know, these these people who I look up to have found it so hard too, and have had seasons where 
you know, like like Habakkuk says, that the harvest hasn't come. The harvest mm. hasn't come and you just need to keep chipping away anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just chip in. Thanks so much for having me. I think I think the, the question of identity is a really good one. And it's mm. one where we often have felt on the back foot. Mm. And I want to challenge, I've challenged myself, all of us, let's get on the front foot with this. Mm. We really do have some good news because mm. you know the world says look within yourself and i think really you know is, is that mm. it what because it's not a pretty sight at times mm. um and and you and you're trying to persuade me it is but honestly it isn't honestly it isn't and we all know that mm. and we've got something really good is that god looks mm. inside as well sees some of the same stuff he mm. says i love you still you know, mm. and he brings his son into the world to pay mm. the price for that and then to lift us up. So look up and let's be confident we've got good news mm. for this culture. Yeah. Both be able to say something, but as John, I think you're saying really important to live distinctively now. We've mm. got to start living in, in ways that unashamedly are a bit different and they won't understand at times hate-filled, notoriously evil people. <laughs> you know, they won't understand. But God does, and that's that's the key bit. And eventually, they'll see these are good ways in the long run, God's yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, amen to that. Yeah. One um, final mini encouragement that I really enjoyed reading is Tim Keller's Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, which mm-hmm. when you're a junior doctor is 40 pages long. And it's just, a, I found it a real encouragement because I think it, it's kind of framed this whole thing we've talked about quite well, almost mm-hmm. like this idea of every day almost we're in a, a courtroom trying to justify ourselves and actually mm-hmm. the reality is god is the judge and jesus was in the stand for us so we can we can leave the courtroom we can be set free from our successes and our failures our achievements how we feel yeah. about who we are and we can just rest and enjoy who god says we are mm. but yeah and have a, a different way of thinking about our achievements mm. and our work which is still important yeah. you know but now yeah. it's not all important so yeah that's the yeah, yeah, great point, Lizzie. Yeah, yeah, we're not on a kind of roller coaster of our highs and lows anymore. We're, you yeah. know, we're stable and good. Boom or bust ego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both, John and Glenn. It's been wonderful speaking to you both today. Thank That's... you, Lizzie. Thank, Thank you, you, John. Yeah. Cheers, I'm going to put the links of any books, recommendations we've talked about in the podcast blurb and some other helpful links. If you've enjoyed listening to this, please subscribe. If you could leave a review, that would be really helpful because it just means other people can find this podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us and bye for now.